DJ PK, time to bring in David Locke. His weekly visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David joins us on the T-Mobile and special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you, David? Good. How are you, PK? Uh, You know, I mean, whatever. Okay. (laughs) I'm fine. Sounds good. So as you watch the Nuggets go through the postseason and go through the Clippers and advance to the Western Finals, are you discouraged that the Jazz let an opportunity to get away and this could have been them? Or you are encouraged because, hey, yeah, one through seven, it sounds like a long way, but the fact is very little separates these top teams in the West. What do you think? I think probably both, don't you think? I mean, you certainly... I think it showed that the Clippers were not cohesive and were not particularly interested in being in the bubble. And when Lou Williams was quoted knowing the days right after the game, you can tell, you know, and that, you know, just the, the camaraderie difference between the Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets and, you know, seemingly Boston Celtics um, compared to the Los Angeles Clippers is pretty dramatic um, just in the way they're portraying themselves. So I think it's clear that the Clippers were not as cohesive and were more vulnerable than maybe we had thought. Um, and so, you know, certainly having lost that, um, lead in game five or being that close to winning the series and not closing it out is is awfully painful. It'd be nice to be playing the Lakers tonight. Um, but I also think we've seen, you know, what, one of the things we're seeing in the bubble that's really interesting to me is we're seeing leads just go away. Um, like this 15, 16 point swing is just not strange at all. And, it's funny, as I talked to a bunch of players before they went to the bubble, that was the thing most of the players talked about, is they thought the runs would be very different because you didn't have crowds behind you either. Um, you know. And I don't think that – but I, I had taken the impression from the players that they thought the runs, runs in the game would be shorter because there was no crowd, or at least that's the way I interpreted it, not that it would be longer and more extended. And that's what we're seeing is that without the crowd and without the environment, when a team gets rolling a little bit, it's really hard to slow them down. Um, and then from the other standpoint, I would say, you know, I think Denver's encouraging. We can build a roster the way Denver has. We can't really build a roster the way L.A. has. And we probably can't build a, way, a roster the way Miami has. Um, but we can build a roster the way Denver has, and um, that should be encouraging to us. But that's, that's a model that's working. And, you know, had it been the Lakers and the Clippers and the Heat, and then that's a little less encouraging. I'm interested in your thought about not being able to build a roster in terms of the Heat. Now, obviously, Jimmy Butler is the exception, although when he came out, he was the 30th pick. When you look at the top, uh, let's go the top six guys from the Heat, you got Harrow. Hero was a 13th uh, pick. Out of bio, 14th. I just said Butler, 30. Uh, Crowder, 34. Uh, Drogic's 45th, and Duncan Robinson undrafted. So why would you say they can't build it the way Miami has? So because Jimmy Butler was a marquee free agent that they okay. signed in the offseason, and, yeah. and I'm not thinking of him as a 30th pick. I'm thinking of him as, you know, he was one of the three or four marquee free agents, and we're just not going to get that player at that point. Um, <clears throat> so that would be my thought on it. The other one with Miami, and while they have drafted Tyler here on Bam out of Bayou, that I do think you can look into that's really interesting is Miami's done a really masterful job of the willingness to move draft picks to acquire talent and at the same time 
having enough draft picks that they still have young players. And that they've done that probably better than anyone in the league. So Goran Dragic, if I remember correctly, they gave up like three first-round draft picks for him. And then yet they still have Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, who are, you know, picks that they took. And I'd have to go back and see where they got all the, you know, how they reacquired picks or what they've done. But, you know, there there is a level... I mean, I remember being really thinking Miami had just like made one of the worst trades of all time when they traded for Goran Dragic because they gave up three first-round draft picks, and I think many of them were unprotected. It just seemed like an insane move, and yet, you know, it hasn't really come back to bite them at all. And I don't even know if those picks have turned into much of anything. So that's a good lesson of like you should be willing to move your pick, right? Like as much as you love your next draft pick and your next first-round pick, and it's so exciting that it's actually worth often worth making that move. Now, the flip side of that is that, you know, they also somehow have Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero are are terrific pieces for them for the future. So as we watch guys like Jimmy Butler have a huge impact making really, just really clutch shots, just such critical times, such big shots, we sit here and talk about how much the Jazz are going to improve based on how do you find this guy, how do you find that guy, but how much of it is well, the Jazz will improve and go as far as uh, Donovan Mitchell does. If Donovan Mitchell is one of the top 15 players in the league, they'll get to one level. If he's one of the top five, six, seven players, they'll get to another level. And if he's one of the top two or three players in the league, then the championship's in play. How much of it does it really rest on the development of one or two of your best players, Mitchell and Gobert? Well, I think, and I think Rudy probably fits into this you know, can Rudy find a way to score, get enough balance in that frame to be able to score over people? Like Rudy right now really just cannot score if there's someone in between him and the basket. Um, Adebayo hit like a little floater last night. You know, they're running basically the same pick-and-roll game the Jazz are running and torching the Celtics and doing, you know, Duncan Robinson was playing Boyan Bogdanovich last night. You didn't want to leave him in the corner because he's too good a shooter, and then Adebayo was able to roll to the basket on a smaller guy like it was all the same stuff, but maybe one of the biggest plays was Adebayo hit a little four-foot floater over a defender, and that's the that's the piece that Rudy doesn't have yet. Is can Rudy find a way if he if someone stays underneath him and he has someone between him and the basket that he can start to score um, that shot? And, you know that would be a huge developmental piece, and certainly Donovan as well. The one thing that has been um, again at, I think positive for the Jazz is that continuity seems to be important. Now, is continuity important because they're in the bubble and it's a unique circumstance, or is continuity important? I'm not entirely sure, but frankly, you know, I think there's something to be said that the, the Warriors had a culture and they added Durant to it, and he actually screwed it up, but they were good enough with that culture that they kept winning for a while uh, with their championship. Um, that Cleveland team that won with LeBron had been together for for a while, Tristan Thompson and all those those pieces kind of they they had been together, um, so it does seem as though continuity is is holding to have some importance. Um, and you know, there's probably exceptions to the rule, but that's that's a good sign as well. So the fact that you know Denver's winning and and Boston, frankly, has a continuity. You know, I think Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart have probably been on the same team for five years now, and. And Jason Tatum's been on it for three years, and so then they added Kemba Walker, which was just a cultural improvement from the flat Earth crazy show that Kyrie Irving was for them last year. So, um, you know, I think that that's a that's their that's another positive lesson for the way the Jazz and Dennis and, and Justin have built this roster. 
So I actually think that it won't be as far as Mitchell and Gobert because it seems like they are, I don't want to use resigned, but they're planning to have those guys together. If you listen to Dennis Lindsay in his Zoom call, he's very complimentary of uh, Gobert, and obviously Mitchell's a, a superstar in the making right before our eyes. So with these two guys, and you're paying them big, big, big-time money, that the success of this franchise is going to be determined by those other guys, by the Adebayus and the Heroes and the Drogics and Jay Cowder and whatnot, to use the Miami example. So it's what expertise that the the management of uh, Zanuck and Lindsay can come up with to flush out the roster with some serious quality players, say like three through seven or eight. Respond to that. Uh, it's an interesting thought. I mean, I do, I'd still probably, you know, I think it's a whole collective effort. So we're probably both, you know, what you, David presented and what you presented are probably both accurate. Um, you know, if Bo- I cannot figure out how Boston is not winning the series. I'm just totally mystified by it. I think Boston's so good and their roster's so loaded, but maybe it's that they're not deep enough one through eight. I have a hard time with that. I mean, I honestly, like, I just, you know, on last night they didn't win because they didn't play as hard as Miami. So, like, that one was simple. I mean, there's the offensive rebound. It turned out Tyler Hero throws away on the turnover, and they don't get paid, punished for it. It's, to me, it's a symbolic play of the entire game. Um, but Miami just played, you know, the two, the three biggest plays of that entire series right now are defensive plays. Bam's block and the two steals by Jimmy Butler. And those were all eff- incredible effort, tenacity, reading the game correctly um, plays. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Miami might be your, you know, your argument of two through seven or, or two through eight or nine, you know, to get there. Um, cause I guess what I'm saying, but I think that they're really winning cause they're just playing harder and have incredible tenacity. I feel like Boston's top six is so much better than Miami's and really should be winning that series. I'm a bit stunned that they're not, um, Boston's just loaded. Um, but, um, and then this next, you know, the Denver, the Denver, series with the Lakers would be interesting. Like as we go into it, who do you think has better players through eight and or nine in their roster on these two teams? Yeah, I would have said Denver, but the Laker bench has impressed me big time of late. Yeah. I mean, the, the question is whether you can count Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in that list, I think, right. If it turns out like during the regular season, when JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were on the floor, against Jokic, the Nuggets torched the Lakers. They, the, but on the flip side, when Anthony Davis played the five and Jokic played the five, the Lakers torched the Nuggets. So uh, I think the answer in this series is whether or not Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee are actually part of your one through eight. If if they're able to get 18 solid minutes out of their center position from either of those guys, then they then they count, and then all of a sudden then their depth is okay. Um, but it's an interesting – it'll be interesting to see. So one other X factor in all of that, uh, I talked to Pace Mannion, uh, just randomly had a call with him, and he went straight to, in the bubble, without the fans and the craziness behind the glass, shooters, if you get if you just hit a couple shots, you can be locked in so quickly. It can be such a good environment for a shooter. And so that brings up the question, is Murray... Murray had the quietest 40 points. I mean, we were all amazed that the Clippers were blowing the 3-1 lead and then not competing in the second half of Game 7. But Jamal Murray went for 40. In another situation, we would have made a massive deal out of that. Is he going to go for 40 and be a huge X-factor in this series? 
Well, they went for 20 in the second quarter, and I thought that won the game because watching the Clippers play in that series, what the Clippers wanted is was just to be so much better than you, it was easy for them. And they were up 11, and Jamal Murray went crazy in the second quarter, and all of a sudden they went to the hat locker room, and the Clippers realized it wasn't going to be easy. And I just don't think they had the fortitude to fight through that. I know it sounds crazy in a Game 7, but I'm not sure we've ever seen a team just fold the deck chairs in a Game 7 like that in the history of the game. Like I think it'd be really hard to go back and find all the important – and I'm not talking about like – when a one seed plays an eight seed, right? I'm talking about like a team that was supposed to be a championship caliber team get to into game seven. The only thing I could think of that was close was when LeBron's Cavaliers kind of folded against the Celtics and LeBron's in Cleveland and, and he was just worn out, you know, and, and he kind of folded his deck tent in that game. But I mean, I've not seen anything like what the Clippers did in the second half of that game where they just literally rolled over and died in a game seven without fight. So to me, that second quarter by Jamal Murray when he had 20 was pretty loud and it was the key to the entire game. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, um, I, I don't know how, I don't know how they guard Jamal Murray and, and Jokic are the Stockton Malone right now of the unguardable two man game. I don't know how you guard it. Um, you know, I saw somebody talking about, the key for the Jazz is to find a guard that can guard Jamal Murray. He just had a pick on the guard, and then he's not guarding him anymore. <laughs> so I'm not even sure that that's the answer. Um, I frankly think that the Jazz did a had some spans in there where they probably played about as well on Murray as they could. He went and he went three for three in the mid range, and you know the the whole reason the Jazz lose the series if I think it's game five. There's two random loose balls that fly out to Murray for open threes, and he hits them both. I mean, give him credit. Like, he just knocked them both down. And, you know, one was off a Conley deflection, one was off a rebound. And those, that was the difference in that game. It wasn't anything out of a defensive structure. So, you know, I don't know who, what they're, you know, they're going to throw Contavious Caldwell Pope and they'll throw Rajon Rondo and they'll throw, um, they'll miss Avery Bradley. Um, they'll throw Alex Caruso at Jamal Murray. But when Jokic sets the pick, is Anthony Davis coming out and guarding him? Are they trapping him? And then if they trap him, then Jokic is conducting. Um, I, you know, I think a little bit to DJ to PK's point. Like, I think they're going to make Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, and Gary Harris make shots early in that series. And if they do, then it's then what we've seen is that Denver gets better and better and better offensively as the series goes on because Murray and Jokic just seem to have the answer to everything. When it comes to the draft, you like to do a lot of research and all that stuff, and I'm wondering how much of a crapshoot it's going to be without individual workouts and all the things that led the awesome. Jazz to Jazz Mitchell. And How do you think it's going to play out? Well, I think it's really interesting. So I was actually listening to, uh, I was listening to the Locked on NFL podcast, and Tony Wiggins was talking about how he had been with a bunch of NFL area scouts recently and they were all talking about how the draft in the NFL last year because coronavirus hit pretty late and um, some of the stuff that you know the combines and some of those things weren't done the same way that the GMs had to sit back and let the area scouts actually have their impact and that the first week of the NFL had more high level rookie performance even without training camp than kind of we've ever, than we've seen in a long time and their their assessment that was self-servingly was like that the big guys in the top of the ivory uh, tower didn't screw up what the guys you know on the ground had seen and it was interesting because i now go back to another podcast i was listening to with john hollinger when john hollinger made the comment that if he could change anything in the draft process he'd get rid of draft workouts because 
as valuable as they might be, they create a recency bias that is unavoidable. And it is the last thing you've seen. There's nothing you can avoid to have it be the last thing you've seen. And it will have the most impact on you because it's the last thing you've seen. And that's just the human nature. And so that you bring a guy in for a draft workout and it suddenly, you know, takes away the seven months or 17 months of work that someone maybe had done on this player because it's your most everyone in the room saw it. It's the only person time there one. So you, you put those two things together. I think this draft is going to be amazing. Um, I've got some, you know, I think there's an interesting one on analytics. Like I actually last year didn't watch any draft film, but did a bunch of analytical numbers on players and just decided to look and see. And Tyler hero, like peaked out on my, um, some of the analytics numbers for athletics and shooting and things of that nature. So I do think that maybe if some, if some team has a metric that is able to do analytics on draft prospects and be able to figure some things out, that's going to be incredibly valuable. Um, and then those that were ahead of the game, right? Those that have put the time in, that did the work, that were, that were, that weren't relying on the combines or the draft workouts or things like that, but have actually put in the effort. And that's that's a staff issue as much. GMs and assistant GMs are super busy during a year, and they they don't have the capability, um, you know, in the NFL particularly, in the NBA as well. But I mean, Dennis and Justin are pulled in a million different directions, and so. You know, they don't have the time to go to the University of Iowa practice or the University of Illinois practice the way the scout you should, who should be doing that for you um, and going to the University of Kentucky practice and be able to see some of these guys or, you know, um, how well you scouted the Nike Hoop Summit two years ago or the McDonald's All-American or the ABCD game or some of those things are really going to matter. I think it's going to be great. I think this is going to show which organizations are on top of their game and which aren't. And I think you'll see, you know, we've seen it a lot recently, the Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson draft, which, um, you know, is the, is the kind of best example of a completely inverted draft where one through 10 is not as good as 11 through 20. But I would guess that there'll be some real fines um, by those teams that are on it in this upcoming draft. And I think there'll also be um, more, uh, to be a little um, uh, uh, cynical, I think there'll be more promises. I think you're going to see players get promised at 22 or 20 or things like that um, and maybe suddenly become a little less available for teams to look at. I'm not sure how they do that in this model, but there's going to be somebody who has someone they like and they don't want them out there. I saw a couple of takes on Twitter about Goran Dragic as he looks good in these playoffs and makes big plays. And, and you're, you're big into the analytics and all that, and I don't know if this stuff completely misses this or in a weird way if you could discover it with that. But they were talking about how Dragic is a gamer. He's a big gamer. He's a big gamer in international uh, tournaments, and he's a big gamer in the playoffs. And the people putting out this are like, he has a shockingly low percentage of bad games when it's kind of this winner-take-all. He doesn't show up as well in the regular season, maybe, but it really shows in tournaments, in knockout play, in NBA playoffs. Can you, dis- can you discover that kind of stuff, or you got to be the area scout on the ground and see guys to really realize that kind of talent? I mean, so he led Slovenia to the Euro Cup. With right, that was, office, that, that was sliding. That was sliding, yeah coach um, that had Luca on that team and Luca was tremendous, but Dragic was the MVP of that series of that tournament. 
Um, and then if you go back and look, even when he was 24 for Phoenix, he was really good in the playoffs. Um, and then he's been great for Miami. They've had limited experience, but he's been great in every single one of his playoff performances. Um, he's just crafty um, and plays it. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the easy hey, the easy answer on some of these guys, and I think this is where we really missed Boyan, frankly. I don't think we missed Boyan's three-point shooting in the corner. It would have been pretty hard for our offense to be any better. But I do think there might be something – to Jokic, Dragic, and Bogdanovich and the world they grew up in and what they experienced as young children and the fact that they're not quite as flustered by moments and have a level of toughness and, and depth to, because of life experience that's different than the average American kid. There might be something there. Um, I think it's a worthwhile discussion uh, if I was a scout in a room of what, whether there's something there um, because, you know, big games – seem to bother them less and I you know I think what Boyan brought us all year long was it was a grit and uh um it's a quiet grit but it's the you know it's the miss the second game of the year with the sprained ankle and then the trainers come to him and he's like you got your one I'm going to play like you know I'm playing like I'm you know and there's other stories that I probably can't share about it all year long but the wrist is one of them um where that was going on all season long and he just was going to fight through it and you know I think we missed that intangible aspect of Boyan Bogdanovich. And, and if you want to, if you want me to say like we would have won beat Denver, if we had Boyan, the answer to that to me is yeah, but it wouldn't have been because we hit another corner three or we made another shot. I thought we did, you know, our offense was clicking at one thirty for most of that playoff series. Hard to get any better than that. It would have been just because he has a, a grit level to him. That is a little different than anybody else we have. So then the Jazz need more itches on their team then. Uh, you know, the, so far the, the teams with itches are, are scratching them well. Nice. Well, maybe we should leave it right there. <laughs> maybe it terrible. That. that was a it was setup. Ter- <laughs> it was terrible. Okay, one more thing then. All right. so you don't oh, have man. to end on that. I, enjoy, I, must tell, I must tell you, I enjoy these conversations immensely. Thank you very much. I sit out same, every Friday morning. I sit in the same spot. Screwed up this morning. My apologies. And uh, I really enjoy these conversations. You guys are terrific. Can the Nuggets upset the Lakers? Or the favorite is the favorite for a reason, and the Lakers are going to the NBA Finals? Well, I mean, it sure feels like the Lakers are going to the NBA Finals. Um, the flaw the Lakers have is that they just are not a very good half-court offensive team, and they will go through this playoff run having not played a above-average defense. It's pretty nice. Um, you know, I thought they were really vulnerable. Um, I thought I took the Clippers because of this. Um, they're 19th in the league in half-court offense. If Anthony Davis does not get out and run, um, and they don't get, 20, you know, if they don't get somewhere about 15 to 18 to 20% of their possessions in transition, they, they bog down really badly. Um, I don't know that I think Denver can prevent them from doing that. And frankly, you know, if Jokic has a weakness, it's probably he doesn't change uh, sides of the floor with great alacrity. And if Denver has a weakness, it's that they crash the offensive glass with such propensity that they are vulnerable to the transition game. So, uh, I I think, you know, can the Lakers, there's two things here. Can the Lakers get enough possessions with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in the game so that Anthony Davis can be playing the four and out sprint Denver's defense? He run, They play about 7% more of their possessions in transition if Davis is at the four than if he's at the five. 
Um, so I've always thought that the key for the Lakers was to get him at the, you know, to get him out and running. Um, on the other end, in this series, he may be able to outrun Jokic well enough that if he can do it at the five as well. Um, so the, the mechanism by which Denver wins this series is makes it a half court game. They're a much better half court team. The Jokic Murray combination is better. Um, than anything the Lakers have, even with LeBron and, and AD. So that's the, the way to get it done. But I, I, I'd be surprised. And I do think the Lakers defensive length, which has just been awesome all season long, will have an impact on Denver. In, I'll tell you who it is in a minute, but an, uh, an NBA media member from outside of this market has already guaranteed me the East is going to win the NBA Finals. Um, that's not... I, you know, um, guaranteed. Did not hedge. Interest, all right, so here's an interesting one. I feel like Denver matches up better against Miami and Boston than the Lakers do. But you don't think they're going to get there? I don't really think they're going to get there. So that's, yeah, so I'm kind of agreeing with that person. You know, Boston, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I'm not trying to minimize him this at all. They, they, I don't know if it's because of the zone. I don't know if it's because of the youth of the team. I don't know if it's just because this is a reality of playoffs and I don't get it. They lack an offensive creativity that is bothersome to me in key moments in, in games. And and even for you know they Brad has some of the best out of bounds plays and some other stuff and you know this is maybe an overrated version of coaching, but they don't like run some intricate stuff. You know I don't look at him as though he's like I think they're very well prepared and like I you know Jimmy Butler's got to get to his right hand and Daniel Tice comes out and closes and forces him to left hand and denies the drive like that's a subtle thing but that's brilliant preparation and coaching and then you know frankly Jason Tatum screwed it up. A possession later where he let him get to his right hand. But the first one is kind of what there is great preparation. That's great coaching. So I'm not trying to criticize, but I am underwhelmed by what they run offensively and um, what they run in as the game, as the game goes on offensively. So um, in that sense, I'm not sure. I think Boston could beat either the Lakers or the Nuggets. Yeah. PK and I were jointly horrified by the amount of uh, standing around and dribbling in the last three minutes of game one. They yeah, were in a good spot, and all that you know, isolation it, stuff didn't make any sense to either one of us. Even if you watch them early, like I watched really closely last night, even early in the game or early in the second half, early in the second half was really bad. Now, that might have been because of the zone. Um, but it's not, like, it's just not, they don't, they're not, you know, there was the, there was the, audio cut of Brad telling the guys, great job, you're swinging it side to side and you're getting on both sides. Like, they don't do that a lot, actually. Like, it's interesting that they don't, you know, now we're used to watching the team that moves the ball an inordinate amount of time and plays advantage basketball. And maybe, you know, maybe if we had Boston's talent, which is, you know, just extreme. Um, I mean, I just think Boston's incredible. I just think they're so good. Um, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that they're losing, but. Um, you know, the other one is, by the way, is I, I'll just leave this out there. I don't know anything. I don't have any insight on this one. This is just totally me watching. I cannot believe Jalen Brown is sticking around there. Like, he cannot be okay at this stage of his career, considering some of the nights he's had when he's been on his own, of just watching Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum take every shot and then Marcus Smart snaring a possession every now and then and becoming an offensive rebounding putback guy for the fourth quarter every night. That that cannot be okay with him. He's He is a third pick of the draft who thinks very highly of himself and wants more. I, I think he is the next Harden 
which is a major piece that gets moved out of because there's not enough possessions on that team. Mark it down. David, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again. Talk to you soon.